0: Last update from, um, from recent friends is, I don't know if you saw this, Gary, but uh, Tesla owners in Norway have been on hunger strike because Elon Musk made terrible cars and won't fix them. But mm-hmm. Have you seen this? I hope they survive. Uh, well, I've got some great news, which is that their hunger strike lasted less than a day because they were unable to stop snacking. <laughs> oh, okay. Same well, well I like to stay it. on hunger strike, but the lutefisk is so good. I like the pungent smell that comes from the tin. Fasting in a northern climate. It's yeah. very difficult. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, and, and of course, I mean, we uh, as we, again, as we said at the time, it was destined to last for like Less than the gap between two meals, because ultimately Tesla owners and Elon Musk's fans love treats and are unable to actually commit themselves to suffer in a way they think is actually going to cause them suffering, which is ironic because they've made themselves guinea pigs in one man's how quickly can I turn a car into a fireball? Global experiment. Hey, the Cybertruck can briefly serve as a boat. We're told. So. Yeah, well, also yeah. so can a seal uh, car for commuting to your seapod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all things that can briefly serve as boats. <laughs> the first guy to buy a seapod will absolutely be a Tesla owner. I'm putting a marker down right now. <laughs> well, just like a kind of. A kind of tech bro, Mister Magoo, who's so optimistic about just tech solutionism that he winds up kind of drowning four different times. You're describing Mark Andreessen. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I am describing Mark Andreessen, aren't I? Anyway, these are all of our, our old friends. Uh, I, I'm delighted to introduce uh, you, Gary, to some of our some of our our great friends from uh, our time doing this podcast. But it's time to get to the politics and the titular economics. So, um, I just want to start, actually, before we get into the specifics of the Tory party conference, Gary, could you talk a little bit about how you came to be an inequality economist, starting from a very, let's say, unusual place for an inequality economist? It'll give our listeners, I think, some context as to how you came to the insights you come to.
1: Okay, so I didn't initially want to be an inequality economist. My, my main plan was to try and be rich. Um, so i'm from east london from a place called ilford um i come from a pretty poor background i was quite good at maths growing up so i figured i'd try and become a banker um i got i went to LSE, london school of economics uh there i found out like you needed to basically have some sort of amazing you need to have trekked the Sahara desert or you know played over at the royal albert hall to become a trader um, but i found out citibank hired one trader year through a card game um and i won that card game and i became a trader not knowing anything about trading
0: what was the card game? Was it Yu-Gi-Oh? Uh,
1: <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. My Yu-Gi-Oh deck is terrible, so I'd never have <laughs> uh, won that. Uh, it, it was supposed to be like a trading style game, but in reality, it was, it was basically a maths game. You know, I, I studied maths um, undergrad, you know, I was always quite good at games. Um, so I won that game, which meant that I turned up in on 2008, just before the crisis, as, a, as an interest rates trader. And not the the
0: best about. time to arrive.
1: Well, yeah, strangely, yes, because, you know, I got hired to this sort of desk that was really unfashionable before the crisis, short-term interest rates, right. and which make short-term loans. And then mm-hmm. suddenly in the crisis, it became the most profitable desk in the whole bank, which I don't think anybody had expected, you know, including the interest rates traders mm-hmm. themselves. Um, and it meant that suddenly all of these guys who you know, weren't sort of flash enough to get jobs as credit traders were suddenly making a ton of money. And uh, nobody was really paying attention to me. So all they were doing at the time basically was they were betting that the global economy wouldn't blow up on the basis that, well, if the banking system collapses, we'd all lose our jobs anyway.
0: Mm. And then the
1: banking system didn't collapse. So um, everybody made a ton of money, including me, who, who just started copying everyone because, mm. um, you know, they were making money. So why not me? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that worked pretty well, 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, then when the sort of the banking system recovered, it stopped working. And um, I needed to figure out sort of a way to make money. I had to basically bet on interest rates. And um, the history of this is quite interesting, right? Because you are probably aware in 2008, mm-hmm. basically, all of the rich world interest rates went to zero. And they stayed at zero for about 13, 14 years. Every single year between 2008 and 2020, financial markets predicted that rates would go back up the following year. Every single year. Which is wow. quite amazing when you consider that they, they did it in any of those years, right?
0: And um, what what are the odds of being that wrong without just sort of massive systemic self-delusion going on? I think it's I think it's a super interesting discussion to have. How
1: could they have been wrong so consistently for so long? But I mean, I mean, do you know many economists?
0: I know a few. I I also went to London School of Economics.
1: Yeah, I think if you know Mm. a lot of economists, then you stop asking that question.
0: What is it they say about economists that uh, microeconomists are wrong about specific things and macroeconomists are wrong about things in general?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I could talk about economists all day. I think, you know, I worked with bankers for a long time and, you know, now I sort of work talking about inequality. People think I would hate bankers. I hate economists much more.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think it's because e- economists sort of are hired to be, in many cases, are sort of cheerleaders and boosters of a system that they understand the advertising copy for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this not really is how thing, it works.
1: At least, uh, let me give you an example to tell you why I hate traders so much. Okay, so I became very successful basically betting that interest rates would never mm. go up. Which we can talk about mm-hmm. why. It's basically a proxy mm-hmm. for the economy will never recover. Okay? And then for that whole 10-year period, everyone in the markets and the central banks and the economists were saying, no, rates will stay zero. No, rates, sorry, rates will go up. And I was saying, saying rates will stay zero. Eventually, I quit and I went to Oxford University and I had a lecture mm-hmm. about interest rates. And I went up to the professor afterwards and I said, you know, why is it you think that we've been so wrong about interest rates for so long? And he said, no, we always knew rates would stay zero, which is just categorically completely wrong. And I said to him, no, like, you know, everyone said for 10 years that, that they'd go back up and they didn't. He goes, no, we knew, we knew. So... You know, I went home and I sent in the data and the next day was like, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about it, okay? But here is a guy teaching interest rates at Oxford University who has been wrong consistently about the strength of the global economy for 10 years Mm. and has not noticed.
0: (laughs) It's it's the joke about business school, right? You, You walk in and, like, there's a bunch of... There's a classroom full of people looking at two graphs that say, like, profit and loss and acting like it's real school. Of
1: course, the worst of it all is, you know these people, especially at a place like Oxford, are all rich people, rich families, property-owning families, so they don't get hurt. You know, mm. and I remember in my sort of mid-year review sitting there and they were like, you know, what do you think of the course? And I was like, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of mm, course, yeah. I was like, I think the course I, is I, shit. I thought you, I said, that you said that <laughs> yeah, I, heard, <laughs> I said, I think the course is shit. And they were like, why? And they were, so I was like, you're not talking about anything that's happening. You don't talk about the housing crisis. You don't talk about why, why real wages are falling. You don't talk about why people's lives are getting worse. And, and then they looked at me And they said, "What do you mean that things are getting better? We're literally sitting in a wood-panelled room in a castle wearing capes and bow ties, right? And these guys are saying to me, things are getting better. And you you couldn't help but hear those two missing words, right? Things are getting better. Why, there's a little Belgian
0: boy sucking your penis right now. (laughs) Does this this not meet with your expectations?
1: was a surprise but yeah. um but yeah i mean you know I've <laughs> been, my god there is <laughs> <laughs> sorry please go on but I, I mean i've been in this space for a long time right and you know um i came to the conclusion that the reason that that markets were always wrong mm-hmm. you know i studied at math and economics undergrad mm-hmm. we never mentioned distribution um i come from a very poor background but then i was working with very wealthy people i came to the conclusion that you know all of these measures which were supposed to stimulate the economy zero interest rates mm-hmm. quantitative easing working in the bank who had millions of pounds and could access very cheap credit, they were doing nothing to the people where I was from. And then if you actually look at what's happening to people where I'm, where I'm from, house prices are going up, which means they can't buy houses. Their mums are selling their houses, probably to the kids of the guys who I'm working with. And mm. the money is, is not getting through. And it started to become really clear that no matter how much cheap money you give to rich people, it doesn't boost the economy. All they do is buy our parents' houses. And you know, if ordinary families... Are getting poor year after year after year you can't expect to get an economic recovery so so i started betting basically on no recovery ever and within a year i was the most profitable trader at the bank which mm. was a pretty surreal experience you know and then you sort of first you think i have a question though yeah
0: go for you it. you sort of when you started you copied a lot of other people who were doing well and made money then you started betting no recovery ever and made money did people start copying you
1: no, I think this is, this, is, this is something that's interesting. You know, people often ask me, like, did everybody sort of cotton on what you were doing? And the young traders were very interested. The young traders wanted to know why. They're like, you know, why are you doing this? And I had a lot of really interesting conversations where it's like, okay, so there's going to be no recovery ever. So the economy just gets worse and worse and worse. Okay, so do you think we should buy green euro dollars then? And it's kind of like, well, yes, <laughs> I guess so. Um, but the, the young traders wanted to know, not from a moral perspective, wanted to make money. The senior management, they didn't want to know. They didn't want to know. And I think I think the reason for this is that sort of if a kid like me comes in talking like I talk and makes a ton of money, senior management, they just don't want to know how you're making it because probably you're doing something dodgy. And if if you're doing something dodgy, the best thing is that they don't know. Right. Because while you're doing it, you're getting paid. They're getting paid. As long as they don't know, everybody's cool. You know, I remember once like the big management came, manager came over from New York. And this is when I was like the big trader. And my ego was getting pretty big. So I called him over and I was like hey who's the best trader at Citibank I thought he was going to say me and he said this guy over there I won't say his name because for legal reasons we might best not say it that guy over there is better and I said well I make more money than him and he said well that guy makes more money consistently anyway that guy was in court for fraud for like years <laughs> because, because he had a chat group called like the con or something right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, think, like, senior management, if you make a ton of money, they just don't want to know, you know. And when I tried to quit, they were like, you know, if you try and quit, then we're going to find whatever out whatever Cheeks do and Gibbo does mm. to do their business.